So hi and welcome to the Conscious Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Frenger. On this podcast, I interview leaders who are doing progressive or more radical things. They really stand out as people to look up to and learn from. Here I'm bringing you John Alexander, co-founder of a consultancy called The New Citizenship Project. They equip organisations to involve people as citizens and not just treat them as consumers. And he's really passionate about big global issues and leads with such a strong purpose. So I started by asking him how he got to where he is now. I guess my journey started really working in advertising um, and I, it's a career I kind of fell into. Um, I didn't, I, I, my first dream was to be an Olympic athlete so I, was a, I rode at university and at school and things like that but um, then stopped growing so I wasn't going to be that big guy. Uh, but the, yeah, I f- fell into advertising more or less accidentally and kind of wanting to do something creative uh, but not really knowing much more than that. Um, and, and I guess the journey of, of sort of 10 years in the advertising industry was really really a journey of, of asking deeper and deeper questions about what the role of that industry is in society. Like what, what really is going on uh, when, and where I ultimately got to was a question for my, that I articulated as what, what are we doing to ourselves, to our relationships with one another, to what we think is possible when we tell ourselves we're consumers something like 3,000 times a day, depending on whose research you believe. And, and that question formed, I mean, it started to form pretty early on, uh, but, but when, when I was, uh, my first boss said, like, your role in the world, your, your job as a, as a kind of ad planner, an advertising strategist, is, is to, to cut through all of the messages that people see. Like, people are exposed to 3,000 commercial messages a day. You, you've got to make yours the, the most kind of, the most salient, the most resonant. And, and, like, he wanted me to concentrate on the, like, cutting through part. But over a time, I was like, 3,000? Uh, and and gradually in the end sort of 2010 2011 I worked uh, two things two things kind of came along at once that really formed my future I guess which was um, one was I started working I was doing a master's in responsibility and business practice I lived in Zambia for a year trying to sort of understand whether I might want to do that kind of work or be able to do that kind of development work and 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 came back and, and, and decided more to try and sort of work from the industry I was in, but to, to try and make a positive impact in the world. And and did this master's in responsibility and business practice. Uh, of course, it was founded by Anita Roddick and, and others um, run out of Bath University at the time. And, and where I got to through that, I ended up working, I ended up writing a, a, a research uh, paper on, on ethics and advertising. And, and that, was what, that was what sort of brought us to that question. Um, and and the second thing was that around the same time I uh, I started I started cooking up slightly different ideas really um, ideas that were less about that were sort of saying well what if people weren't just consumers what if the agency people had wasn't just to buy this or that what if ethical consumption wasn't the only path to a to a better society and. Um, and I came. We came up with this project. Of myself and one or two of the other folk there. Um, we called My Farm, which was trying to hand over decision making on a real working farm to the public by online vote and debate. This Ooh. was back in 2010, as a way of involving people in sustainable food production, not just selling them better food. And and like we, I then sold that into the National Trust. Went to work at the National Trust. Did a load of stuff on kids and nature. But but what was important, what was most important to where I was going really was that if I had that first question, like what what are we doing to ourselves when we tell ourselves we're consumers three thousand times a day, my farm sort of had a second question behind it, which was what would it look like to bring the same kind of creative energy that currently goes into selling people stuff into involving people, and 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 that those two questions really form the heart of my work still um kind of 10 years on and and the journey was going to work for the national trust doing some good stuff but then then going back to university and uh, for for another master's degree uh and trying serial to, master's degree. yeah three of them now I'm okay. um, <laughs> collecting but trying to trying to go like what really is going on here what what is the relationship between these ideas and um and I thought I was going off into academia for good. And then my business partner, Irene, who's a force of nature um, and a, a really amazing compliment um, to who I am in, in a lot of ways, um, 
found me and sort of hauled me out of advertising and we kind of and we we started the new citizenship project um which i guess to bring up to speed sorry i'm delaying in the past too much um to bring up to speed the new citizenship project is essentially um it's essentially a consultancy business the 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 work we do we like to say that we're 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 in a, we're a strategy consultancy, but we but with a mission. Like we help we help organisations do stuff better and do better stuff because we think of people differently. If you think of people as consumers, the only ideas you'll ever come up with are stuff people buy from you. If you think of people as citizens, you have to start by asking, what are we even trying to do in the world? What's the point? Uh, and how can people join in with that? How can people contribute to that? And so. From there, from that sort of starting point, we we work with everyone from the Guardian to the Co-op to the European Central Bank to, uh, yeah, all sorts um, and across sectors from the food sector to 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 museums and cultural heritage. Like trying to always really with this question, how might we involve people as citizens rather than just sell to them as consumers? Mm. So how does that go down? So let me get this straight. So a client comes to you and they're like. Okay, so we want to sell this stuff, or we, we you know, we have these business objectives. Um, yeah, and how does that play out? Because it sounds like you're asking them to like rewind a few steps, and what is the big question behind this? And and what if we were to treat this not as a consumer selling situation, which I guess it might be in part, but but alone that's kind of meaningless. I mm. think is what you're saying. Yeah. So how does that play out then? And, and does that mean, there's a few questions here, does that mean you're turning some business away? Does that mean that you're having to take people on a journey? How open are people to that? It certainly means we have to be on a journey. There's relatively little of our work, although an increasing amount, I think, and we'll probably come to this as, as the world changes more and more, an increasing amount is sort of comes to us by tender or competition or whatever and we respond to a brief but but mostly our work comes through building relationships um and and getting to a place where the uh, there is interest in the question that we might ask um so um so one example but and, and often that does start from that and we're not we're not sort of throwing out the the kind of uh, i guess what you what you might call the commercial commercial imperative often we're actually arguing that that commercial imperative as long as there is a purpose in the organization can be best met by centering that purpose rather than centering the commercial objective so so take the national trust for instance the work we were doing we were involved in there started really with the trust uh saying um, we want to get we've got we've got like hundreds of thousands of people joining the organization every year that's the core financial kind of support of that organization but we've also got hundreds of thousand people leaving every year it's the leakiest bucket known to man and and what you what we were doing was saying well if you, if we can put the purpose of this organization rather than just the idea of sort of consumer days out like visitor attraction with a with a sort of conservation charity hidden somewhere in the background if we can put the the idea that beauty matters that that people need special places in their lives that we need kind of the sight of our, our sky and things growing um which is the octavia hill one of the founders of the national trust if we can put that stuff front and center then you can develop a relationship that's much deeper and so and the work with the trust was really about saying if people if we can get to a place where people feel and are sharers of a belief that places matter then they're going to be in a totally different relationship they're going to buy into the organization visits still matter the experience has to be very high quality etc etc but fundamentally the basis of the relationship won't be have i visited enough times to justify my transactional fee it will be this is an expression of my shared values Mm, so you're trying to flip the problem on its head to some extent, yeah, and it all, always it comes back to, and I guess to, to this thing about, to the to the sort of premise of your work, this idea of being mindful. I would argue that it's really about that 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 what we're doing really is 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 an expression of that. Is saying what really is this? <laughs> what are we anyway? Like, because if it sounds quite esoteric, quite deep. Yeah, but fun, right? Like, and, and, and oh no, I don't want. That was I'm fully into deep. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but I guess I guess um, unleashing. So so much of life feels like it's lived on the surface, right? Mm. And and if you can, 
not every organization can do this but equally it's not just a thing for charities like one of our favorite case studies that we use all the time is Brewdog, for example like an organization that acts as a movement for craft beer rather and that happens to sell products rather than an organization that competes as a brewery it's like cool okay that's great you're trying to change the way a, a particular market works and that's something that inside your organization people can believe in that outside your organization your customers can believe in and if they do then they're going to have a lot more fun as well so i think it comes from there and this kind of as it sounds like you get quite deep and meaningful with your clients quite early on um how do people respond to that Uh, you know i imagine it might be attractive for some is it repellent for others like how does that play out and do you yeah do you experience a range of response in terms of because i guess a lot of companies are inevitably to the detriment maybe a bit short-termist um, and others are really thinking about the bigger picture um, it may be a bit easier for corporates to be or very large global charities to be more long-term um, and i wonder how that works if you are you know you've got big commercial drivers that you need to kind of get on with uh, right away how does that play out? It tends not to be the the sort of the looming commercial driver that un- undermines a relationship, actually, because often we've got a pretty good answer for that. Um, and as long as we can get into action quite quickly, things start to flow. It the the sticking point often tends more to come from a kind of, um, I guess, a kind of politic of some sort, like a and I. It's interesting, you're making me wonder what it is exactly. It's one of the, one large uh, institution, shall we say, that we worked with that shall remain nameless. We we kind of, um, we got sort of spat out. Um, that's happened a couple of times. And, it, and I think it comes, I don't know, I, I think it's some... Um, I think it's some, one of the biggest things about our work is that it is to a degree a threat to established expertise right because what we're doing is saying the 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 sort of second part of the question we ask so if the first part of the question is what we ask is what is this organization really trying to do in the world the the sort of corollary bit is that's so big that you actually need to work with people to do it that you can't do it without people Mm. because that's the bit that creates the space and and that bit is the bit where so take take the the National Trust again, who actually we we had a lot of we've done a lot of work with over the years, and, and that, that isn't the organisation I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. Trust, yeah. It's not the organisation I'm talking about, so yeah. I can be nice about them. Yeah. But the, the but like in the trust, you have um, you have conservation experts. You have uh, in the RSPB, you have conservation experts. In in the Guardian, you have journalists, right? You you, and these people have been have deep expertise and 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 on the surface what we're talking about looks like a threat to that because we're saying there's a there's a heroism in a lot of organizations today and there's particularly a lot of causal organizations that says like we the journalists are going to save society by shining the light like the what's that sort of sunlight is the best disinfectant thing you know we the we the conservators are going to save save these materials and these special places from the dirty fingers of people and the the kind of um that heroism is quite uh is quite deep seated kind of ego driven yeah maybe mm. and 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 so when you're saying to them like step back what if you're trying to create a more beautiful world you need people to be involved in that you need people to care if you're trying to if you're trying to create a more democratic society a more engaged citizenry then then it's not it's, it's not enough to, to to inform people about how crap everything is you've got to inspire their them to have a sense of agency you've got to leave space for them and that is um and it's not i want to be very clear it's not about un, in our minds it's not about undermining a, the the expertise but it is about um it is about reframing that expertise and maybe this to, to, to the other part of your sort of framing of leadership like I think it is a reframe of leadership it's about saying leadership is becoming I believe much more facilitative and space creating and space holding and, and structure providing than uh, than heroic hmm. so what you're saying is leaders need uh, be it brands or within organisations they need the people 
and they need to treat them with respect and a listening ear so I guess that's quite big and philosophical so how does that take your project take I don't know the way we manage people take anything really how does that practically play out in a project with you know for saying that leadership is more facilitative what does that mean then for the way a project rolls out for example so it's quite fun um we're in a we've been doing a lot of work with a particular local authority actually um which i'm really enjoying like i hadn't really spied councils as a as a as a exciting and inspiring place to work until relatively recently and now it's now the whole world sort of opened up in front of me but the um with the council we're working with the 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 starting point is to say um, the starting point for the for the work is to say what if you conceived of yourselves less as a service delivery organisation and more as a as a sort of holder of the question like how can we make places better with people how can people work how can we work together with the people who live here to make places better rather than how do we deliver the services that people expect and so in doing that the way we work um, we start by uh, kind of trying to find we, we talk a lot about appreciative inquiry in our work as a, as a, as a methodology a so, coaching phrase that <laughs> so so a lot of it is going like this will already be happening and mm. all of these things we do uh, this will always, so let's find the places where it is so we can understand where it is in your organization and try and derive from there that's the first part then then the really meaty stuff comes in which is like okay so how do we work with people to understand where this might go and so we've developed what we call a kind of a sort of strategic co-creation process. We need to name it better. <laughs> but um, but what we're doing essentially is 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 we get people we get we get councillors with, with this project we've got councillors elected so elected representatives uh, officers so staff of the council residents uh, and, and lots of residents of all diverse backgrounds from across the across the across the borough. And 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 sort of and and they all sat side by side as equals, and told told one another stories of when they had felt most able to make their place better. Mm. Their neighbourhood. Their, their neighbourhood yeah. where they lived, mm. and 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 not and they took all that we get rid of all the badges, get rid of all the status. Doesn't matter who you like, what you, what place like you're coming there as someone who wants to work with others to make places better. And you tell stories about where that, where, when you felt part of something like that. And then together, not, we don't make sense of their experience. We together collectively make sense of, that, of the, that experience and try and draw out the commonalities. And then we ask the question, if we worked in a way that, that, that came from these commonalities deliberately rather than accidentally in the spirit of appreciative inquiry, like going, then what might we do? What might, what, how might we now design around these instead of doing this stuff in spite of the designs and structures that are in place? And, and, imagine, and sort of imagine a future like that in various ways. We've got lots of different exercises, but critically like doing it with people sat side by side as peers in the process rather than sort of, I guess the classic would be sort of come up with an initiative, go and do market research focus groups with consumers in in that frame whether they're residents or not like they're in the frame of providing feedback rather than in the frame of share your experience understand your experience design around that experience mm. with our with our facilitation does that answer your question yeah it does make sense and i guess for listeners appreciative inquiry being exploring what's working mm. and how that's practical and how it can build on what's already there as opposed to it being a deficit yeah i love the um a friend of mine uh talks about it as as like human systems evolve towards the questions we repeatedly ask and so most strategic processes ask the question what's wrong here and so all of the energy in that system goes towards what's wrong appreciative inquiry starts by asking what's right here and so all of the energy surrounds the things that are right and tries to build around those mm. this came up yesterday actually there was um, a tweet by the what works Wellbeing center very mm. nice center um and they talked about we have a national loneliness minister a national suicide prevention minister there was another example as well what would happen if we flip the language on that to maybe something around community or or well-being and what effect is that kind of negative language having on the impact of those roles focusing on loneliness focusing on yeah on mental thought. ill health lovely thought mm. okay so you've got people sharing presumably you're facilitating in a way that allows everybody to be heard because often in an environment like that you get the louder voices 
coming through yeah whether they got a badge or not yeah so how do you do that all sorts of little tricks and tricks and tools as you can probably imagine I mean small group working is critical um, the whole we, we have a we have a nice phase of this process where we give where we work in groups of three and each person plays a role as listener inquirer and kind of an, a note taker and circulate that and circulate through those roles so everyone has a chance to speak and listen uh, we've got a, a principle we, we I've got I've was quite struck. We we work a lot in sixes and twelves, which are numbers that that have some some mathematical basis. Uh, there's a there's a stat that uh, if you if you're below if you're less than fifteen percent of a group, then you tend to be a, feel like a minority. Um, above fifteen percent, you tend to so people tend to feel they can have more of a voice. Very interesting in current context when you think that Britain is eighty five percent white. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the in, so so six is the smallest number where no one where every one person is more than fifteen percent. Hmm. So that's part of it. Um, the the Condorcet's twelve is the number of a jury and is supposed to be the the, the smallest the large largest number that can effectively reach consensus. So there's some of that in our work as well. Um, it's all about finding these ways that you can. And and obviously and and then there's more human like what what Nora Bateson would call warm data that's that's sort of less about the kind of cold numbers that are the criteria and more about like just paying attention mm. and and un, and ensuring that we're watching faces and understanding people. We've managed to make some of these processes work with in some pretty challenging conditions with with people living with quite advanced Parkinson's, uh, for example, uh, or. Uh, working with a, a woman who a, a woman who was who was deaf and deaf and dumb in one of the workshops that I, uh, and so couldn't couldn't express herself and we we uh, we had someone with her who would write with her as she was uh, and and she loved it um, so this like and I'm not saying we've surpassed every challenge or we've got it sorted but I, what I'm trying to emphasize I think is the is the malleability and the kind of the flexibility of these kinds of processes like if you genuinely want to invite people as participants then it's usually possible to find the way mm. to do it it's a bit about intention yeah about mm. and just focusing what you said about kind of i think what you were saying about is presence and attention um i guess both from a practical perspective but where does that come from from your personal perspective is that something you've cultivated and how do you work with staff like that you know most people are wandering around rather distracted so what you're saying is, okay, let's get people in small groups. Let's listen, really listen. Let's help them listen to each other. And then we'll get some real answers about what this is about, what's working and how we build on that. So that, that, creates, that, that requires a level of awareness and attention. I wonder if you could talk to that. It's, I think this goes to the heart of what I would interpret conscious leadership to mean, right? Like I think... I think I see my role as a lead, as a lead, if I even would describe myself as that, but as a sort of champion of this idea of people as citizens. By which I mean, I, I've, our work is fundamentally rooted in in a, in a, in, a, in two beliefs really. Firstly, that that people can and want to shape the society they're in for the better, that that's a universal truth, but also that we're fundamentally shaped by the stories that surround us and the prompts that surround us and a lot of those prompts go directly against that 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 desire to contribute so hold that for a moment in 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 our organization then the and what conscious leadership means so if that if that is the sort of that is the set of beliefs that i try i'm trying to embody and lead from and for the practice that goes with that inside the organization is to try and ensure do do our level best to ensure that that's present all the time and and is in how people feel in the organization as well and that's super uh, like it's it's challenging because and i'm not going to pretend it's easy but but it is but it is really possible one of the things i'm enjoying most at the moment um and enjoying is a funny word again but like we are we're trying to take we're trying to face into this 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 current challenge of well not current challenge the deep challenge of of the black lives matter of what black lives matter has raised onto all of our consciousness and we are trying to do that in a way that feels that is conscious of of like the fact that we are a pretty white organization um 
and but we're doing it by trying to we're trying not to be the organisation who's you know the old phrase that the cobbler's son has the poorest shoes it's like we're trying to bring some of our own practices to bear on it so it's like so we, we've created a kind of a, a, a repository where people are sharing things they've read or listened to or whatever and also kind of what they've learned from that and how it's made them feel so you're being a bit introspective as an organisation, and then and then coming together as a group and going like, what what can has, what's sticky for people? Where's the stuckness? Because that's where we'll learn and sort of talking through those things. So whether and 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 we've had a couple of these sessions and it it feels like we're learning so much about our own about, that we can do differently, but also like, but in in on this on this on that on the sort of challenge of of race and being an anti-racist organization but also just about how we work together and how we relate to one another and it, and I, I can't take <laughs> I can and can't take any credit for that because what we've that the the idea of doing this pro- this in this way came from one of the team who is and then we are all holding it and sort of taking it in turns and mm. and and that but I think but I guess I guess you could say that, that, that like we, Irene and I, and her more than I, have created the space where that feels possible, where where we're sort of, where we have, and and also in in the whole in this COVID moment, we've had to we've had to take advantage of the furlough schemes and things like that, but a little bit, and we've had those conversations fully as a group. I don't, but there are limits to what we're doing, right? Like I think. Um, I think we started when we started it. Irene and I were both quite, I guess, not naive, but but sort of wanting to get cracking. And so we are, we are by structure, we're a, we're a, we're a company limited by share. We're and, and Irene and I are the shareholders. Um, we're trying to. We really should be. I think we would say, and, and most of the team would probably say, we should be a cooperative. Um, so employee employee owned, owned. potentially not like, like, potentially also multi-stakeholder like I've thought I've chatted to a couple of our clients about whether they'd want to have a stake in us which is kind of interesting um, and also flips the relationship but but yeah I think that those things one of the things we talk about a lot in our work we talk about as, as a sort of as an underlying model of of how you how you do this work of being a participatory organisation being a citizen organisation we talk about um narrative rituals and totems so we talk about the story that the organization tells us that tells itself uh the 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 day-to-day the rituals the day-to-day things that kind of express and embed that story and the totemic the 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 symbolic interventions that can that Mm. can express can you break that down practically as an example in your own organization maybe one yeah sure so so we we would uh, the story of our organization is we're 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 on a we're on a mission to shift the story of society from consumer to citizen we're doing that through by working with organizations and trying to help them change the story they tell the the some of the rituals we we have a we have a monday morning check-in where uh, 59 second check-in where everyone very quickly does like what are you proud of from last week what 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 have you um uh what are you most excited by this week and and what what's your what's your sort of cultural inspiration for from from last week and then we get into the sort of the the nuts and bolts of what we're doing we have these uh we have a, a Friday lunchtime space where and these are these are, some of these that were were sort of ongoing some are kind of evolving into the into lockdown and kind of remote working uh, we always insist on uh, and we've just done this in a pitch process actually um, with a, we always insist on check-ins as a and finding a question that can shed light on that process as a as a first part of it what do you mean by that so um so we went into a big uh, presentation where we'd been sent an agenda for the for how the session was going to run it was going to be two minutes for introductions 45 minutes for us to present and 40 minutes for them to ask questions of us and uh instead of that happening we spent the first 25 minutes uh asking each of the client group to share a story of when they felt most proud of working for the organisation that they worked for. Mm. How did um, they find that? They loved it. Okay. And it sheds, it framed the, the meeting that followed completely differently. 
Um, and, but it's not just things like that. It's also it's also like what we measure. So so how do we measure success? And then what do we talk about as success in our organisation? And what do you talk about internally as success? We talk a, a lot about the the quality of relationships. So it's not so much a kind of a hard measure as a as a how we. So what and it goes back. I think you know I hadn't really put these two together before we talked about this. But it goes like I think we have an appreciation that that maybe is more innate than I thought that, that, that it's when we're in the right relationship with our, with the organizations we're working with that we do our best work. Mm. So the conversations we have an awful, we have most of all are like, how is this, how is this relationship feeling? What, and what could put it on the right footing? Like, and, and, and there are so many things that you can tweak to, to, to shift that. But, um, but yeah, that's crucial to us. And then the totems thing is like, for us, it's like we want to be able to ask the questions that we are that we feel are important. And so for us, the to- totemic outputs are things like when we do we do these things called collaborative innovation projects, where we bring together six organisations from a sector around a question about that sector. So, how can museums act as places for the cultivation of citizenship rather than just as days out visitor attractions, for example? And, and the, the nature of those projects is that we're then able to put out in our name because the project is ours rather than the client's. We can put out something that expresses that thinking into the world. And so that, that mm. feels, that, that's prob- those are probably our kind of totems, I would say. Mm. So how do you hire people into your organisation? Because it sounds like you're looking for really strongly held values and quite uh, an open-minded, agile approach that is really willing to help facilitate this kind of participation and probably quite bold as well because you know if a client sent me an agenda I probably would follow it and I'm thinking maybe I shouldn't now um but yeah that's quite you know you're gonna go thanks for the agenda but we just have another approach we'd like to you know do instead so I'm wondering when you're hiring people in your organization when you're recruiting what are you looking for with the types of people because I imagine you're quite picky you tell me it's funny you know like a lot of it it's a bit like the clients. A lot of it's come, and I guess it's partly the luxury of being a small organisation. But a lot of it has come through relationships, and I know there's a there's a danger to that too. But for example, I mean, I'm thinking several of the, I mean, three of us used to work together at the National Trust. It's going back there. <laughs> uh, the the promotion continues. The uh, uh, they will be a sponsor. Yeah, they? quite. <laughs> I think you should aim for that. Yeah. Um, the one guy um, found some of our work and uh, so we'd done one of these collaborative processes on cooperatives and uh, Oliver found that work and was and was using it in his work and contacted us and then gradually we came closer and closer and now he's part of the team. Mm. Um, we did, we have done traditional recruitment processes um, and they've come out well. I guess at, at that level, what are we asking? We're asking... I think we're quite. I think when it's worked best, we're asking questions at the level of what people believe in. That shared, that shared belief in people. It sounds really glib, but actually, I think it's properly fundamental. Like, there's so you so often hear these thing, these sorts of statements, like, um, you know, well, you know, people are selfish. Um, and if anyone ever says that, then they're never going to get a job at us, at our organisation, you know, because you have to, you have to come from that space. Um, I think there is something about confidence. I mean, I don't want to overplay our bravery, right? Like we're, the the, but I do think we're we're very passionate about doing about creating the uh, about about the opportunity to do the work that we believe needs to be done especially now mm, like, in the way it needs to be done yeah yeah i mean we we know that we know that you're never yeah you're never going to be able to do unless you unless the relationship is right we're not going to get the opportunity so to some extent it comes from a little bit of a place as well we may as well test it out because otherwise <laughs> we're, we're all better off knowing this ain't going to work yes <laughs> it's like um so yeah but i think and and like I say especially now like in this moment we're living in we you look you just have to you lift your head just briefly and you go 
we have this 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 decade is the decade that we have to sort climate change uh it's now the decade where we have to sort covid and in a, and the 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 massively accentuated inequalities that are coming out of that it's also the, a decade now that that's characterized by huge polarization like if we don't if we don't start from a place of going how are we gonna how are we gonna work together to do something fundamentally different then kind of why are we bothering hmm. and that kind of um sort of know it in a way that holding a very sort of sounds like you hold quite a large responsibility on your shoulders and I wonder um, no doubt that's very motivating but I wonder if, if that's ever hard mm. yeah I think that's astute I think and and yeah it's it's important to be it's one of the things I would describe us as though is playful like I think because just because you're holding a responsibility it doesn't mean you have to hold it weightily mm. i think i think there's a i i we i find i find there's a real joy in in our in doing the work we're doing because almost precisely because we acknowledge that stuff you know because and if you don't everyone knows it right like everyone knows it Deep really yeah. yeah they mm. do there isn't and, and and so a lot you, of people aren't really ready to admit it maybe i guess yeah maybe i guess i, I guess the, the maybe the way i would interpret that is is like we're all ready to admit it and we find life a lot lighter when we do admit it when we pretend it's not there it it hangs over us like a sword and is there anything about privilege there because you know it's all right saying well i'm going to think about climate change and social inequality and stuff because i'm all right and i i can but what if I'm really struggling? What if I'm struggling to feed my family? Like, how do I have any headspace for how much plastic is on this stuff I'm buying? I think, I mean, the... I think I'm talking a little bit at the level of, like, how we structure our relationships with our clients mm. and how we make sure that we are... We don't pretend that there is an urgency. Because they do have power and influence. Mm. Mm. And the and yet I also want to sort of contest the, the framing a little bit of what and what you're just saying. Like what we've found in our work is that is that so often that what results in that relationship, whether where you have these client organisations, they sort of they hold these truths. And they feel like that means that because they're holding, they have to do for these poor, they have to solve it for these poor people who who are poor and busy and da da da. And what we find when we go and do these things like these co-creation workshops in all over the country and 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 beyond, in in some quite in places that you might consider that that to be the 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 frame, you find you don't. I mean, it's not that we come in and we say, so guys in this council borough, like you know that there's climate and COVID and da 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 so what are we all going to do about it it's more that you go like I say the questions we start from are kind of when have you felt able to do so and, and what, how can we make that more possible and the energy that flows from that hmm. as opposed to the energy that is created when you ask what do you want what do you need hmm. when you what ask what can the council give me more right. about what can we do together right hmm. you, you open up a whole other space that people really really want to be in hmm and going back to the whole playful thing, because you said that, um, you know, and I quite encourage you to talk about you. I know you're talking about we as an organisation, but <laughs> to talk about whatever you're willing to share personally um, could be quite a heavy weight to carry. But you're saying, I think, what you bring to it is a more playful approach. Could you talk about that? And any times it is difficult and what playful looks like to you? I personally do get... Um... Irene would tell you this. You're almost better off asking her about me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do... I do overthink a lot of these things. I mean... Two, two things I would say, probably. Um, so one is about playfulness and the other is a more contextual thing. I've actually... I think that it, this speaks a little bit to what I was just saying about, about like acknowledging these realities. I, I felt... Before, at the beginning of this year, I was feeling, I was feeling really kind of quite desperate in some ways. Like I think um, 
we've been working with these insights and ideas for five, six years. Um, and we're still very small uh, on any scale that might be commensurate with the challenges we face. And yet I feel like these ideas have something much broader to offer. And and in a and in that in the world that we lived in <laughs> six months ago. Um pre COVID. Yeah. The era. Yes. Um it, f- it was beginning to feel like the structures and processes were so fixed that it was never gonna shift. Um and I think the I am I am in a better I, I feel awful saying this and I'm not trivialising what's going on I am in a better place personally psychologically now because the gravitational pull has been lifted slightly because because it because the world is up for grabs a bit more and and don't get me wrong like I think the the, the, the direction of travel arguably is, is worse rather than better the primary direction of travel but I think underneath it there's actually a huge surge of opportunity and, and enthusiasm and that makes me excited. So so I guess what I'm trying to acknowledge in that is that I do, I'm, I'm feeling quite chipper right now in a lot of ways, but I was quite, I wasn't in a great place sort of February time, January, February. The, and, and I do hold these things quite heavy myself sometimes. I think others would say that of me. Um, the playful thing I think is about, and there's, there's, yeah, the playful thing I think is about um, imagination and just going like, what could it be? And the appreciative inquiry thing of like looking to, I, I love, I, I just love playing with the ideas we work with. Like, and I mean that, like it's, um, so we have, we, we have this table of, of terms, subject, consumer, citizen, people have two, four with dependent, independent, interdependent, uh, duty, rights, purpose, like a, a whole series of lines. And one of the little games we play sometimes, sad, as a team, and I play on my own sometimes, sadder, <laughs> is just going like, take an organisation, take a thing, take a person, like, and, and how might you unmap it across those? So like the, the, the BBC, created in a subject era to inform, educate and entertain the proles. Uh, really struggled in a consumer era because there's loads of models for creating content for consumers. What if it became the 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 NBC, not the BBC? What if it was the movement for British culture rather than the British Broadcasting Corporation? Tapping into the I hope inter- you're listening, BBC. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, British institutions podcast. It's become but the, those sorts of the, and those ideas just make me feel excited and happy and joyful mm. like and so, so that's what, I'm wondering who's taught you this or whether this is something you've evolved in your own thinking obviously you've studied extensively I think would be an understatement um <laughs> obviously read extensively maybe as well I see various philosophical books dotted around the room here um I think I probably quite enjoy going through your bookcase um massive philosophy book just looming in the corner um so yeah well, where what, what and how has this emerged in you this very sort of philosophical Philosophical, playful, um, facilitatory approach. That one is actually relatively easy to answer, which is um, the the masters I mentioned that in responsibility and business practice um, was a uh, my tutor on that was a um, I'll probably get all emotional in a minute, but um, <laughs> she was a woman called Chris Seeley uh, who was she was a kind of sprite she was a, she was a, she had this incredible energy about her um and she i remember the first workshop of that masters uh i i was working we did this thing where and i was finding it a bit weird like you had to kind of make a collage of your life or something like that and 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 i and but and then we were talking back through it and i was talking to chris and i and she was like, and and i was like i'm finding this really frustrating because like what I what I've done in my life so far is I've figured out what the rules are and I've and I've played by them and in general I've won. Like I'm a I'm a white, tall, fairly athletic, all my own hair, if ginger. But like I, I've got I've got I, I'm I went to camp like I've got a lot I've got a lot of the gifts, frankly. I've I've been dealt a good hand. So what I do is I figure out what the rules are and I win. And she just, and I remember this moment of her laughing at me and going, uh, this is going to be fun. And I said, what? And she said, the moment you realise there are no rules. And and and, and Chris, she, she was just this phenomenal person in my life of, of uh, 
of really just just like and she was an artist she and her, and her, she died a few years ago um she was she she sort of refused categorization by the world herself and um and it and it was just she just held a space that made it kind of possible to do that and it's a muscle i've tried to tried to keep exerting ever since and what does removing the rules mean to you and how how did that how did that play out for you once you realized like is there any it sounds like a bit of a process that oh maybe i don't have to follow the rules maybe there's more play here when there are rules there's a way to be right and a way to be wrong uh and there's and there's almost kind of points to be scored and there's something to be lost by being foolish i think the lack of rules thing is kind of a continual reminder to myself that i try and hold that that no one knows right how we're gonna do things differently like and and all all we really know is that what we're doing right now is bust and if you can sort of stay in that space and and hold it really generously as well right like i we don't i want to going back to that pitch meeting i described like it's not like we confront people with that we're like guys what we'd really love to do is just like know you a bit better and know where this is coming from and mm. where your organization is now and you've written stuff on a piece of paper but like just tell us tell us a quick story and we'll see if it goes and if you don't like it we'll move on but and it's that but that space is made by by being able to go the default way is is only going to lead to the same outcome mm. i get the sense that this organization like is you and I think um, that's just because you're speaking to just me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, obviously, Irene sounds like a very key part of it. But I mean, in terms of your identity, maybe not, I mean, it's not, I don't let me speak for you. Um, and in terms of what you stand for and how you play out your purpose. Um, and I guess holding that alongside kind of how you look after yourself and in this world of business or whatever we're calling this, then sometimes stuff doesn't work out, right? And I, I don't know whether, I mean, like I'm putting myself in this as well. When things don't work out, for me professionally, sometimes it really hurts personally because I'm like, this is everything I stand for and you've just like told me to come back in six months after 90 hours of work together. So um, I'm, wondering, <laughs> um, I'm wondering if that affects you and and or not or whether that actually just strengthens your ability to, to, um, to work effectively and... Uh, yeah, and in general, how you look after yourself and hold this big, ginormous purpose, which sounds amazing, through daily life. So the first thing, just like, I am, I do identify very deeply with New Citizenship Project. And it's certainly not just me. Uh, and, and in a way, the most exciting moments have been when... Anna or Oliver or Katie have, uh, or Reen have... have have expanded my own understanding of the of the ideas which is happening all the time Mm, so they're stretching it yeah Mm. um and when they feel when i can see and 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 the most beautiful moments are when you see people kind of get it who we're working with like clients whatever who uh, uh, iris one of the only two people who've who've left ncp um used to she's uh austrian german she used to call it dropping the dropping the whale um which is a mispronunciation of dropping the veil um but but like when you see that sort of oh my god there's a whole way of seeing this play this world this the things that are possible so um so yeah just to say that uh i think your question then more is like yeah so I depend a lot on on Reen in some of these ways, on Irene in some of these ways. So she will, she's very good at being like, people are people. Some of them, some of them are going to get it. Some of them aren't. We keep going. Mm. Um, kind of brushing things off. A yeah, she's. I don't know. She's. Um, Irene came to this work uh, in a different way from from a lived experience of of losing the sight in one of her eyes from a contact lens infection and becoming a patient leader and campaigner and and organizer and we used to work together in advertising and then she and uh, and i guess that the the places she was she was on an array of drugs and and had chemotherapy and like she would she went through hell for for two or three years um and i think she has a 
the dynamic between us is is helpful in that sense as well as in many others in that she's a bit like yeah so she has a grounding influence on yeah for sure mm. um what about your habits patterns in life is there anything that serves you yeah sport your- sport is my is still my thing so like i um endurance sport so running triathlon swimming cycling like and the longer the better what does that give you um I think it performs a, a function a little like what people talk about as meditation and, and things like that. I, I unfortunately, it takes rather longer. But, um, yeah. the. I mean, meditation takes quite a long time. Oh, well. yeah. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, my runs tend to be sort of an hour as minimum. But um, I think it's I think it's partly gets me out of my head as well. Partly just, yeah, separates me off from from uh, from me. Um, a bit but yeah sport endurance sport is the is the, there's an there's a deep absorption in that kind of thing particularly particularly running I think kind of flow yeah it must be important for the kind of creative work you do yeah I think it's a sort of truism isn't it the, the, the best ideas come to you when you stop staring at the screen or the notebook and you go and let it let it seep a bit Mm. Oh, any advice that you'd give to sort of very passionate people aspiring leaders leaders out there that are you know engaging with some of these big topics maybe not making enough money or maybe they're really driving big cause work like anything that you would say to them in their in their role from what you're you're you've learned or you're learning about how to run an organization like this first is kind of is the sort of um the work aspect of it and I think what I'd say is something like wear your purpose openly but generously don't be shy of it because there's no time to be shy of it but but also like Irene's got this wonderful thing she took with her from advertising where she talks about um communication that doesn't work is bad communication so if so if you don't if you push your purpose onto people in a way that they can't get it then that's you're bad it doesn't always hold and we can let it go sometimes but I think that thing of like be open. Show where, say where you want to go. Show, show where you're, where you're coming from. But also, invite people into that rather than making it a kind of an inaccessible thing. So make them part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Much more succinct. Thanks. Uh, and then the other bit on, I'm just, I'm, I'm not sure. I think maybe I'm overplaying. I'm not sure I'm a good person to advise on how to look after oneself. I'm not sure I've really cracked that. Mm, work in progress then well thank you for being so open and sharing your journey your experience your ethos it sounds very strong and compelling thank you i hope you enjoyed listening to john on the conscious leaders podcast i feel his awareness of how to tune into people and that facilitatory approach really runs deep and for such a bigger purpose well thanks for listening i'm ruth Fringer, founder of mindful pathway we are a leadership development consultancy and we help leaders create the space they need to succeed through coaching and training. Find out more about us at mindfulpathway.co.uk.